from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. An explosion of spies. Three or four million. Half that number worked for China. Unprecedented Russian activity. To collect information about the United States. More than 100 countries working here. A big, big problem. American agents abroad. I looked up and saw a guy looking at me with binoculars. I'm J.J. Green. Join me on the next four episodes of Target USA for The Fog of Espionage. The Enemies. Defectors, the tactics, U.S. agents, secrets you've never heard. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. February 2nd, 1993, Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill. A hearing room before the Senate Intelligence Committee. A little more than three years after the Berlin Wall fell and the USSR crumbled, Jim Wolsey, being confirmed as the CIA director, issued a disturbing prophecy. Yes, we have slain a large dragon, but we live now in a jungle filled with a bewildering variety of poisonous snakes. And in many ways, the dragon was easier to keep track of. He was warning about the coming explosion of threats facing the U.S. He said, For now, at least, the cataclysmic risk of full-scale nuclear war has receded beyond the horizon. But that risk in the shadow of a new great power competition has emerged once again. And with it, an espionage threat the world has never seen before. On any given day, there are two to three million people worldwide engaged in espionage. Chris Simmons, former DIA counterintelligence branch chief. He's not alone. You know, we're talking about three or four million. Former CIA covert operative Robert Bayer. Their number one target? The number one espionage target in the world is the United States, clearly. Mark Kelton, retired CIA officer who worked clandestinely behind the Iron Curtain. While Russian intelligence is a critical threat, they are not leading this espionage charge. Of the millions out here around the world involved in espionage, at least half that number worked for China. Chris Simmons again. And if you want to hear it from someone currently involved in the fight... China, by far, I think, is our preeminent counterintelligence threat. Pete Lamb, special agent at the Washington field office of the FBI. So what exactly is everybody after? Here's Mark Kelton again. Adversaries are trying to divine government secrets, but it goes well beyond that. Here's the most important and dangerous part of this story. The spy game against the U.S. does not work like you might think it would. 
We were trying to concentrate our efforts to recruit not Americans, but other foreign nationals, Europeans, people from the Middle East, from, uh, from Latin America. The late Sergei Trechikov, the most important known Russian defector to the U.S. since the Cold War allegedly ended, told WTOP three months before he died. There is a reason why Soviet and then Russian intelligence did that. We were using them to collect information about the United States. The clever but simple premise is this. American diplomat will never tell me what he will tell someone like a representative of another NATO country. The distrust between Americans and Soviets ran deep and strong. And during a conversation with Trechikov in 2010 that you've never heard, he talked more specifically about that distrust. This can be a wrong impression that Russian spies working in the United States, okay, let's talk about New York, they're trying to recruit necessarily Americans, to have American sources. Um, it's uh, uh, time-consuming, it's uh, uh, rather dangerous, and Americans, historically, from the Cold War, I mean Americans of, uh, not teenagers, but people of uh, middle age, like people in the 40s and the 50s, they still have this special attitude towards Russians, and because they still, it's the, the Cold War, as they say, I'm not agree, but Cold War is over, but the mentality will be in place for a long, long time because I guess it's on the genetic level. Because for too many years Americans were afraid of Russian missiles, Russians for too many years were afraid of American missiles attacking them. Trechikov said that's why they weren't necessarily looking for Americans. Why is this information important nine years after Trechikov passed away? Well, because the leader of Russia is a former KGB agent. And the mentality, according to numerous intelligence officials from the U.S. and abroad, tell us today Russia, more than ever, is falling back to those old KGB activities and ideologies. For example, if it's a Western diplomat and he's, uh, he talks with his American colleague, it's absolutely, it's one thing. And if I talk to American diplomat, it's totally different because American diplomat will never tell me what he will tell to his uh, brother-in-law, uh, someone uh, like a representative of another NATO country. That's why we were concentrating on uh, to work with people for not from the United States. And believe me, uh, there are several bases of recruitment which we use, um, uh, political base of recruitment, uh, it's political views, moral psychological base of recruitment, it's when you try to blackmail someone. And here's an important piece of information that many did not know about the U.S. intelligence community's relationship with the Soviets back during the Cold War and after it allegedly ended, there were some rules. There was a kind of agreement between Americans and Russians at the beginning of the 90s not to abuse this base of recruitment because it's inhumane. And every time if we do something bad against Americans, Americans can do something bad against us because we have our representatives 
Russians in America, in the United States, and Americans in Russia. But anyway, this element are always presence, uh, present uh, in the recruitment process. It's important to remember, all of this was going on in the United States, while things overseas were much, much worse. I'm walking along Rabala Pueste, or Rabala Avenue, in Tallinn, Estonia, Russia's next-door neighbor, even though the relationship isn't very neighborly. To my right is a long block of gray, drab-looking Soviet-era housing, a reminder of the power and presence of the Cold War and the KGB. I think we have to remember that the Cold War, which went from uh, the end of World War II uh, all the way to the early 1990s, was a period of uh, intense uh, espionage between the blocs, the Soviet bloc uh, and, the, uh, and the free world. John Negroponte was the U.S.'s first director of national intelligence, and he points out some of the U.S.'s best secrets were stolen through espionage. Most notably, the secrets and the formula for building an atomic bomb, which the Soviets succeeded in, in, in stealing from us. But as intense as the espionage efforts were then, the tradecraft, the number of spies, and the stakes today have created an even bigger intelligence problem. This is not an entirely new problem. Being a free and open society as we are, and as we want to continue to be, uh, America's a big target. Let's face it, we're the world's largest economy. We're uh, probably the most uh, advanced country when it comes to, to innovation and in, in, innovative approaches to inventing things, to setting up new businesses, to inventing new ways of doing stuff. We have a academic uh, community and, a, and a, a group of academic institutions at the college and the graduate level that is uh, second to none in the world. So um, there's a lot of information in this country that can be, you know, begged, borrowed, or stolen uh, if uh, one, want, one wants to make that kind of effort. So mm -hmm. when you talk about China and Russia being interested in uh, getting what information they can out of the United States, that, you know, um, uh, that is still true to this very day, mm -hmm. I think. Well, you're you're one hundred percent accurate. Um, if you are talking in the same room and in the same context as folks who are currently serving in the FBI and in the intelligence community, they say the exact same thing that you say. And do you get the sense, just based on your 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 consumering? Uh, <laughs> consuming your consumption uh, mm -hmm. of news around the world today do you get the sense that the russians and the chinese are pouring more efforts than previous years into their industrial espionage efforts and other efforts especially considering what's at stake now yeah you know it's a good question and since i've not had an operational role of any kind in government for now uh, slightly more than a decade it's hard for me to give you a reliable answer to that question. But, but what I would say is this. First of all, to distinguish a little bit between China and Russia, I, I think China, I think Russia still has an interest in technology, just like they did when they um, stole the atomic 
secrets uh, back some uh, whatever it was 70, 75 years ago but they have uh, been a little bit more involved in what uh, they call active measures, what we would call covert action, right? And so that that's why we have all this issue with Russia about election integrity and their efforts to interfere in election activities both here and um, in Western Europe and so forth. I recognize that's a distinct issue from stealing technology and so forth. But I do believe that it is China that invests more uh, in that uh, realm of activity. Uh, and uh, it doesn't really surprise me. They're in a stage of their development that they want to uh, make another, you know, they want to make great strides in the next so many years to become the most significant economic uh, power in the world. And just one example, uh, they send something like 300, 350,000 students to the United States every year. I'm not trying to say that every one of them mm -hmm. is a card-carrying spy, but they do send a lot of these people to study the STEM disciplines and, and technology and all of that. And uh, I think they look to those people to come back from the U.S. and their studies here with uh, both fresh ideas and fresh approaches and also to uh, with uh, maybe new information about new technologies and so forth. Now, that, that's not everybody. I mean, I don't think Chinese who come over here to study economics or history or political science are just ipso facto uh, gathering information for their government. But it, it's probably reached a point now in our relationship with China, which has become somewhat more adversarial, let's say, in the last couple of years, that uh, we have to pay more attention to this. Some people are, and they didn't just start paying attention to this issue now. 20-some-odd number of years ago, I testified before the U.S. Congress on this issue. Nicholas F. Timiyad has worked in U.S. intelligence for 34 years. Now he's one of the top experts on Chinese espionage. He gave them a warning about Beijing's spying. Fix this now, because if not, in 20 years from now, you're going to be calling me back, screaming and yelling, how did the problem get this bad? More than 20 years have passed. He's not been called back to Congress. But guess what? I am confident that the scale of Chinese espionage is orders of magnitude bigger than it was 30 years ago. Douglas Wise, a retired CIA senior intelligence service officer. So approximately how big is Beijing's intelligence collecting and espionage force? Several hundreds of thousands, if not up to and maybe even exceeding a million willing Chinese citizens. If that sounds like a big number, it is. But it's only a fraction of what it could be. Nicholas Eftimiades again. It's uh, unlike what we have in the United States or most other countries. Uh, China employs a whole-of-society approach uh, to conduct its espionage activities, which means not only does it have these structured organizational components with uh, the PLA, People's Liberation Army, and the Ministry of State Security, uh, as well as other entities such as the United Front Work Department, but the senior leadership in the CCP encourages espionage 
throughout its state-owned enterprises and in, in all segments of society, uh, particularly in the commercial applications. I've heard some numbers thrown around. What are your numbers when it comes to that? Well, let's uh, be specific. The numbers size, of cases, numbers of the size of China's espionage force. Well, I, you know, it clearly goes into the thousands. I mean, that much is, is obvious. But remember that this is not espionage in the traditional sense, as we've called it, which is state secrets. This is espionage uh, because it's it's not the limit of China's needs. So this is primarily economic espionage, uh, violations of uh, export enforcement regulations and uh, a whole of society approach to collecting the type of data which are violations of law in the United States, but not limited to national security components. Several sources I've spoken to have indicated that um, they think that there are several million uh, people on a daily basis around the world engaged in espionage, and China makes up, China's efforts make up half of that. Again, it depends on our definition of espionage. Um, uh, you know, to say hundreds of thousands is, is not unrealistic if you're talking if we're talking globally. Um, as to what it is, I, I, no one has a good number on that. China itself doesn't have a good number on that. What What's their main target, and what do they what do they want to achieve? Actually, you, you can look at China's um, development and growth and what they want to achieve in 2025 and 2050, and those are key dates for China and, in fact, for Chinese intelligence. Um, the and we see uh, I look at I have a database of 450 some odd number of cases of Chinese espionage and the collection really focuses on um, primarily on what they've identified in made in China 2025 which is their strategic doctrine for industrial development and you can see clusters of these espionage cases around specific technologies so China is looking to advance uh, it's looking to advance as a global power, and it says very specifically to be at the top of the world, to quote the People's Daily, uh, by 2050, the, uh, erasing what they believe was a, what they say is a century of humiliation. And China is using industrial espionage or economic espionage to make that happen. The Chinese espionage effort against the U.S. is conflicted. In one sense, it appears as though they want to destroy the U.S. They want to take everything away from the U.S. that the U.S. has. But by the same token, China is intimately dependent upon the U.S. economy. I think it's an interesting dichotomy that the Chinese have found themselves as they're so dependent on the same economy, the U.S. economy, that is causing them to see us as the greatest threat and to make us a near-peer adversary. Douglas Wise former DIA deputy director. So it's an interesting dichotomy, and I think you framed it actually correctly, that, uh, you know, they want to be able to penetrate the U.S. economy. They've demonstrated that multiple times. It's well documented. The largest theft of corporate information and intellectual property literally in human history was mounted by the Chinese for the express purpose of being able to characterize the U.S. environment, the U.S. economy, to be able to determine where our economic weaknesses are, where Chinese economic advantages can play into those weaknesses, and equally importantly, where the extraordinary and spectacular dominance of the United States workforce and economy and innovation and imagineering, which the Chinese just don't do. They looked at 
the U.S. economy as a target uh, in that in that perspective. And I think it goes back to the point that, that you made, which is, you know, for what purpose? It's one to save, you know, research and development dollars. It's to make the Chinese economy stronger, to make the Chinese military stronger, to make the Chinese political influence throughout the world stronger. And it's to weaken their main enemy, which is the United States of America. This all speaks to the fickle nature of espionage and indeed the way world power works. Just as you think you've got it figured out, then there's a new element, something that you didn't plan on being introduced into the mix. A perfect example is this. At the top of this podcast, you heard Jim Wolsey in 1993 say this. Yes, we have slain a large dragon. But we live now in a jungle filled with a bewildering variety of poisonous snakes. And in many ways, the dragon was easier to keep track of. Here is the most significant piece of this entire series. Everything that you will hear revolves around what you are about to hear. 26 years and seven months after he said that, he said this to Target USA. The dragon was slain, but not not was not really slain. Was wounded. You said that maybe the dragon was wounded instead of slain. Um, what yes. state do you find the dragon in now? Angry, having suffered some setbacks uh, from our own intelligence forces and special forces and the rest, uh, uh, somewhat wounded. Here's our conversation. In context, on September 16th, 2019, at 10.30 a.m. Looking at what you said then, and um, looking at where we are now, what's your view on the espionage picture? First of all, um, the uh, uh, dragon seemed pretty dead in late December and uh, uh, early January, February of that year. Actually, for the next uh, uh, four or five years, uh, uh, the relationship uh, between the the U.S. and Russia uh, uh, was uh, pretty cordial. Um, And uh, the uh, relationship uh, in a lot of uh, the elements of uh, dealing with uh, uh, Russia was was quite uh, different uh, than it had been in, say, say six months to a year uh, earlier. Uh, so I think that's one thing, is that uh, uh, the dragon was slain, but not, not re- was not really slain, was wounded. And uh, we have, uh, uh, so we have one set of problems to, to deal with again, because uh, here, here came uh, after a, a few months anyway here came putin and, and so forth so so i want to ask you what your views on espionage today and i frame this question using the words of duncan lewis who just stepped down as the head of australia's security intelligence organization and in his farewell speech he said um, espionage is the number one threat facing australia and ostensibly other Western nations too today, surpassing terrorism. What are your thoughts on that? I think uh, um, espionage in the sense of recruiting spies and doing brush passes and and various techniques of espionage and uh, stealing uh, data as uh, 
as, as paper reports and so forth, um, has uh, in a lot of ways almost gone with the wind. Uh, it's not that uh, espionage is unimportant. Certainly uh, getting hold of uh, uh, data uh, is important. But uh, a lot more uh, uh, data has been uh, stolen by uh, um, people who, uh, Snowden and others, who consider themselves heroes uh, and uh, have uh, been uh, uh, operating uh, for different types of purposes than uh, would have been the case. Uh, uh, before uh, the Australian uh, head of service uh, spoke. Uh, it's um, a, um, a very difficult situation, and I would say that certainly uh, obtaining, by whatever means, uh, the uh, uh, material that you uh, want, you believe your government wants, uh, in order to understand uh, the uh, um, technology and the availability of, of cyber software, uh, software and hardware and all of that is if you include that in espionage then then yes the the uh, Australian head of services uh, uh, statement is uh, I think uh, pretty well accurate but uh, if you think of espionage as just old-fashioned espionage in which you pick up something from a opposing case officer and he hands you a piece of code and you take it and give it to your your uh, uh, office at, uh, at your own intelligence uh, service that has uh, has really really uh, I think uh, deteriorated as as the focus of what uh, people are doing so something that we believed for more than a quarter of a century essentially wasn't true that the great dragon of the Cold War the Soviet Union had been destroyed. The Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore, but many of the vestiges of the Soviet Union, including some of the people who were very active on the KGB intelligence team, are still engaged and still significant, Vladimir Putin being number one on the list. But here's another view. There are those who agree the dragon was never killed, but the poisonous snakes that Wolsey referred to are out there. Russia is not a dragon, but one of those poisonous snakes. And aided by more than a century of espionage doctrine and tradecraft, Russia is again a formidable foe for the U.S., as is China. But there is another giant, a tiny island in the Atlantic. And coming up in our next episode... The Cubans, they've survived this long. The regime has survived this long because they're so good at collecting intelligence. Pete Lapp is a special agent with the Washington field office of the FBI. They develop human sources, in my opinion, like no one else. And they don't develop people that do it for money. In fact, they would, they would, they would be suspicious of that. They find folks that have some kind of visceral empathy in what Cuba's trying to do or what their cause is. One of those people was Ana Belen Montes. And I knew... I knew the guy that recruited Ana Belen Montes and Martha Rita Velasquez. Enrique Garcia is a former Cuban intelligence official who defected to the U.S., bringing along with him thousands of documents and decades of intimate knowledge of Cuban intelligence operations. I knew, Cuba. I knew about the Cuban government project to get inside the U.S. government to penetrate the U.S. intelligence community. 
a deep look at Cuba's espionage practices in the past and today against the U.S. coming up on our next episode of Target USA. If you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. That's jgreen at wtop.com. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you're interested in even more intelligence and national security information, sign up for Inside the Skiff. That's our newsletter. It comes out every week on Thursday. And you can do that at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Calling all true crime fans, the Court Junkie Podcast is now once a week on Podcast One. Imagine being wrongfully convicted for a crime you didn't commit, or a killer is still on the loose, even though there's enough evidence for an arrest. The Court Junkie Podcast shines a light on the injustices of the judicial system through deep dives into court documents and interviews with those closest to the case. Download new episodes of Court Junkie Podcast every week on Apple Podcast and Podcast One. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.